Surviving Separation, a podcast to help you through the broad and complex issues around family, relationships and divorce. Brought to you by TGB Lawyers. We are back for another episode of Surviving Separation podcast. Um, it's good to be back. It's been a while. Um, okay. And today I've got uh, Tyndall Gas Bentley, family law partner um, and a very experienced uh, partner at that in Wendy Barry. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks, Michael. So today um, is uh, a very interesting topic because I think that you know, it's something that strikes at the heart of you know uh, the way that everyone runs their lives. Um, we're talking about money today, specifically financial literacy um, and how that affects relationships um, and it, how that you know changes behaviours and specifically financial literacy and its importance in separation. Um, you know, what do you need to know about your finances when you start going through the separation process? Um, so to kick off, Wendy, could you give me a, a brief description of what financial literacy is all about? Oh, look, I'm sure I could give you a very technical answers, but a really simple one is financial literacy is knowing uh, what money you've got, where it is, and whether you're able to balance your books at the end of every week or every at the end of every pay cycle. Wikipedia has a very good one. It says, uh, it's the ability to use knowledge and skills to manage financial resources effectively for a lifetime of financial well-being. It's good advice. Maybe, <laughs> maybe someone should learn myself. <laughs> um, um, but uh, excellent. Um, so that's financial literacy for the individual, but... How does that then play out between couples? It's a really good question because um, there is no one answer and I think every relationship is different and every relationship will have differing levels of financial literacy. So in, um, in one type of relationship, you may have a situation where one party is extremely financially literate and the other party is financially illiterate and um, and that might be because one party is frankly just not interested mm -hmm. and very happy for the other party to take control of the finances and mm -hmm. of course the more you do something the more experienced you become at it and, and as with finances the more finances you do the more literate you become with your finances mm. so you've got the couples where one is extremely financially literate and the, the other is not you can have relationships where um, the parties jointly manage their finances. It's a rare thing for me to find that. I usually find that there's one clear person in a relationship who takes the lead. Um, but, you know, the other, the other observation I can make about financial literacy in relationships is that it often tends to be the woman who will be the financially illiterate or less informed. Sure. Now, look, I'm always loath to sort of talk along, you know, sort of gender guidelines and all this with everything that sort yeah. of happens in society at the moment. Mm. But let's be realistic here. When you say it's the woman who's at the disadvantage, it's because for the most part, it's still the woman who, you know, tends to stay at home with the children um, while mm. men sort of, you know, go out and, and become the main the main breadwinner for the family? Is, is, is that a sort of a large part of this? That could be part of it. I, I see less and less of that stereotype now. Um, I think, 
and I can certainly throw myself into this equation or, or this situation. I was very happy for my husband to take care of all our finances. I just completely trusted that he would take care of it. Mm. Now, whether that makes me financially illiterate, I don't think so. I, I know I have a sense of how to budget and not that I get it entirely right, <laughs> but I have a sense of how to budget. And um, But I just totally relied on him to do to do the, the finances, pay the bills, know where we were at. Um but in other situations... Sorry, so just just quick, just to in, in, interrupt John on that one there then. So, you know, trust is a big one in, in, in that sort of a situation. Um, in that, you know, while you would consider yourself financially literate, almost because of that, you trusted your husband to do that as, as well. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 if, and if, if I had no trust, I would never have, mm. uh, you know, delegated complete responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to him to do that. Um it did come back to bite me because I was then put into a situation where I had to assume all financial responsibility uh, for uh, for for our fi- or for for my finances, mm. and um, I started from a very low point. I had had a lot of learning ahead of yeah. me, and I could certainly have benefited from taking more of a an interest and more of a role in paying accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also see though that for efficiency, someone has to step up. Absolutely. And, and lead on it. There needs to be a captain. Mm, just absolutely. for the weekly, the mortgage, the groceries, the electricity bill. It's yeah. all those little things. Someone yeah. needs to know all the different pots and how much to put in them, don't mm, they? Absolutely. Wendy, would you consider a form of abuse or controlling behaviour if you had a partner who continually, actively kept you out of the financial loop? Yes, it's it's absolutely a form of abuse. It's a recognised form of abuse um, and where one party deliberately keeps the other party um, disconnected from finances and uninformed, and it's a deliberate act of doing so, it, it leaves the other party completely vulnerable and completely subordinate to accepting whatever the other party will give them. So you're effectively being drip-fed money at the control of the person who's in control of the money. Would that sort of a situation perhaps make people very hesitant to leave a relationship as well? Um, When you mentioned drip-feeding money because they don't know where their finances are are, are going on the other side if they they leave, if they move out. Well, absolutely. So if you don't know where the money comes from um, and you've been completely reliant on someone drip-feeding you money, um, the thought of leaving would be completely terrifying. How are you going to survive? A lot of people have become... You know, victims of abuse uh, struggle to break out of that abusive cycle um, in some obscene way. Um, some abuse victims get to the point where their self esteem is so low, and um, you know, you get to the point where uh, the, the person gets to the point where they they think, "Well, this is all I'm entitled to," and it's terribly hard without. Uh, networks and people supporting you to break that cycle and what I would say to people who are in that position is there are places to go to for help you can if you have children and the children are are leaving with you at separation in other words you're taking them with you and they'll be in your care you can contact the child support agency to see what sort of child support is payable by the um, the other party 
The second thing is Centrelink is there and social security benefits are available if you um, are eligible for those benefits. So um, there are two um, places to go immediately to get money. Sometimes family and friends might help mm -hmm. with a, a temporary loan. Mm -hmm. If you go to a lawyer, um, you can get um, either a request to the other side for urgent financial support. And if you're rejected on that basis, then you issue proceedings for spousal maintenance or, or if you're not married, de facto maintenance um, or for a lump sum. All those sorts of orders can be made if the circumstances are uh, warrant the order being made. Some really good sort of practical advice for, mm. you know, I guess, that, that ground zero stage of a relationship aftermath there. Well, it's so frightening leaving a relationship. And, um, you know, even when your circumstances are optimum, like you've got a little bit of money tucked away and you've got a place where you can safely go, it, even in those circumstances, it's so hard to leave. Mm. So imagine the poor person yeah. who's leaving with children, mm -hmm. no knowledge of any money, mm. what's owned, what is owed, where they're exposed in terms of who can come at them for enforcements of guarantees mm. and, and um, debts that might be in their name. So um, that is where financial literacy is so important because it, it enables you, if you're leaving a relationship, to leave knowing that, well, we've got that joint account, we've got X amount of money in it, I can go and take some of that. If, if you don't have a joint account, you might have a line of credit and you know that the line of credit might be 100,000, you're only drawn to 30 on it, you, 30,000. You know, you can go and draw some there. Um, financial literacy represents a freedom, um, a security, um, and and a, a, a level of confidence that's really only um, compared to financial illiteracy where you've got none of those things. Mm. It's Well, that in a nutshell is why it's so important, I mm. think. Mm. Um, now, you mentioned the D word before, debt. Mm. So um, in a blog that's coming up on our website uh, this week, written by you, um, all about this. Um, it goes into a little bit more detail, perhaps. Uh, you mentioned STDs. <laughs> and it's not what our listeners are thinking. It's uh, sexually transmitted debt. Um, it's, it's a fantastic phrase. I think it sums up a lot of, of um, issues uh, around this. Could you explain sexually transmitted debt to our listeners? Well, I can. And firstly, I need to say that that's not a, a term that I invented. It's a very clever one because what it alludes to is the, the intimacy in a relationship and the level of trust that allows um, one party to frankly be taken advantage of. And um, it often happens around the breakfast table when someone's hurrying to get off to work and says, oh, just sign this. And the other party who completely trusts doesn't even read it or might read it but doesn't ask questions and simply signs. And then uh, it becomes apparent that what they have just signed is a, a guarantee. Um, uh, it might be to refinance a mortgage so that the other party can draw down on the equity in a property. Um, it might be a loan contract. It might be a contract to purchase another property. It could be anything. Mm. Um, and the sexually transmitted debt really uh, gets to the nub of it and it's the intimacy and the trust that enables the party who's in the superior 
dominant position, mm. if I can call mm -hmm. it that, um, to take advantage of the other party who absolutely trusts the other one will do the right thing mm. by them. And in fact, sometimes they don't. Mm. It's, that, it's that blind trust um, thing, which, which we all blind have trust. in a relationship, yes. or, you know, which is a lovely thing to have. And then mm. if you don't have your eyes wide open, it can come back to bite you at the same time. So whilst you have that trust, the, you need to be aware at the same time, I think, is sort of mm. what you're sort of trying to push across there. Definitely. Eyes wide open. <laughs> um, so look, let, let's have a look at what the next step mm. is then and take a look at, you know, what happens when you finally make that tough call to separate. And, you know, one of the first steps that people take after separation is, you know, thinking about their assets, dividing those assets up, hopefully reaching a property settlement, um, if you are the financially illiterate person in the relationship and you're now out on your own, how do you make sure you get your fair share of the asset pool? Well, I'll answer that in this way. So let's say that the financially illiterate person comes to me for advice. How You know, I want to have a property settlement with my former partner. One of the very first questions I'll be asking them is what comprises your pool? What is it? that's available to us to look at dividing between the two of you. And if um, the, the person who knows nothing about their finances sits opposite me and says, well, I know nothing about our finances. I think we own the house. I don't know if it's in my name, his name, both our names or Uncle Fred's name. Um, I'm very, very limited in the advice I can give that person. Is that sorry to interrupt? Is that is, it, is, it, is that quite common? Uh, just it, it, it's sort of astounding it that someone could come into your office and just say, "I don't know how much of the house is paid off. I don't know where we stand on the mortgage." It's or not uncommon, Michael. Wow, not uncommon at all. Mm. Um, it, it, increasingly and in, encouragingly, uh, people have a degree of knowledge about their matters. I'm, um, uh, um, it's rare that people know completely and can confidently sit mm. across from me mm. and say, well, yeah, I know exactly what the finances mm -hmm. are. And it's usually the person who's controlled them during the relationship right. who can sit across from me and say, sure. I know precisely what they are. Sure. Um, and, and, um, so, and, and, and without wanting to be stereotypical, it'll often be the male who, the, mm. the, you know, the husband or the de facto uh, male partner um, who will know more than the other one. Um, it's not fatal. Mm -hmm. Not knowing about your finances yeah. is not fatal. It's, um, it's a hurdle mm -hmm. that, and it's a barrier to progress, sure. but it's not insurmountable. We'll be back to this discussion in just a moment. It's at distressing times like when a relationship breaks down that a caring approach and personalised service really count. That's what TGB's team of accredited family law specialists and experienced family lawyers is all about. TGB's family lawyers are recognised across Australia with the largest team in South Australia and expanding across Western Australia and the Northern Territory. If you need advice for separation, divorce, property settlement or a children's issue, contact TGB. Visit tgb.com.au to arrange an appointment at your nearest office. Just to go back to the, the previous question about making sure that you get your, your fair share, you, you took us up to that point where you know, someone is in your office and says, I don't know anything about this. Mm. So how do you equip them 
with, I guess, you know, the the right knowledge and, and, okay. and the right tactics to go, well, this is how I'm going to find out and this is how I'm going to make this a level playing field. So if the person sitting across from me hasn't actually left the home yet, my advice to them would be, well, inform yourself. Look uh, at all, look through all the filing cabinets, take photographs of all the documents, take photocopies, um, secure your own documents, mm -hmm. so your own tax returns if you've filed them, you know, if, if you've not necessarily prepared them but just signed off on them, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, secure all of the documents pertaining to your finances. By the way, you should also secure a marriage certificate, passports, birth certificates, mm -hmm. all the children's um, passports as well. Um, and so that's if you haven't separated Become informed. Watch what's coming through the mail. Um, I'm not recommending you open mail that's not addressed to mm -hmm. you. I'm not suggesting that at all. Mm -hmm. But there, I'm sure that there would be uh, information that uh, couples store at home about their financial position, bank accounts, mortgage statements, superannuation statements, tax returns, all those sorts of things. If you have separated and you've actually left the property, well, then chances are you've missed that opportunity to um, become informed by looking through the documents that are on hand. If you've left and you don't have any of that information and you come to me, well, one of the first things I would say to you is that uh, in, in a process of working out who's entitled to what, i.e. a property settlement, uh, one of the things that is absolutely required of both parties is to make full and frank disclosure of their financial mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a bit of a motherhood statement in itself because it relies on everybody doing the right thing and some people are pretty obstinate and won't actually make full and frank disclosure of their financial position. In those circumstances, you can issue proceedings and seek particular orders for discovery. That's a legal mm -hmm. term for an exchange of information. Mm -hmm. And um, if, 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 you, if it becomes necessary, you can also issue subpoenas for uh, information. For example, to get bank statements, um, credit card statements, mortgage statements, all that sort of thing. Um, but with anything, the more you have to do to get that information, the more it costs. Sure. So sometimes you, you have to look at the cost-benefit associated with the exercise and if it becomes apparent that you're going to spend $20,000 chasing down information that might only mm. net you $10,000 worth, $10, mm. of worth, well, clearly it's not worth doing the exercise. Yeah. Um, did that answer? No, I, I, absolutely. Um, from, a, from a legal perspective, in terms of, you know, what does the law say, um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering about, you know, any listeners that might be, you know, hearing this today and then thinking, well... Although we lived under the same roof, we never actually had joint bank accounts. There is nothing really that's financially sort of enmeshing my former partner and I, and there's no paper trail. Yeah. How, and, and then how would I prove that I had a claim to any of the asset pool if we've had separate bank accounts the whole time, my partner was just sort of giving me pocket money and essentially they were isolated from the financials, not just in a... In a you know, literal sense, but in a sort of a banking sense as well. They've just got no actual claim to the house. Maybe the house isn't even in their name. Mm. How well, does the law see that sort of a situation whereby it would look as though you've made no financial contribution 
to the assets. Perhaps you stayed at home, looked after the kids, and your partner went out. Um, what does the law do? So obviously every matter is different and every matter turns on its own circumstances. So I'm going to answer that one very generally. Sure. So generally we start with a presumption that if you are married and you then separate, that there's a presumption of joint enterprise when it mm -hmm. comes to money, whether you maintain separate bank accounts or not. Okay. Excellent. In a de facto relationship, similarly, there's a presumption of joint enterprise for money if you satisfy the... Um, uh, criteria that make it a de facto relationship, mm -hmm. i.e. was it long enough, to, uh, was it two years or more, was there a child of the relationship, or if neither of those applied, was there a significant and substantial contribution by the other party that mm -hmm. would make it unfair mm -hmm. for the party not to have a, a property settlement. So if you can prove that you were in a de facto relationship or you were married, well then the presumption is that you're entitled to a property settlement. If you're entitled to a property settlement, there, there is the presumption that flows that you have jointly worked towards the benefit of the relationship. The fact that you maintain separate accounts does not of itself, and remember I'm speaking generally mm -hmm. here, uh, um, rebut that presumption. In a lot of relationships where parties do maintain separate bank accounts, um, the argument about, well, this money is mine, um, is overcome by saying, well, if you've been able to save during the relationship, it's because the other party's been paying bills and mm -hmm. things that has benefited the relationship, yep. and therefore you've been saving mm -hmm. for the benefit of the relationship. Sure. It's a bit like long service leave. Yeah. Uh, and, and this might or might not be relevant, Michael, so you can edit as you please. But long service leave is one of those interesting things in, in a property settlement. It, it can actually be property because long service leave sometimes can be cashed in. Mm -hmm. And if it's capable of being cashed in, well, it's an asset that accrued during the relationship. It's mm -hmm. personal to one party. Mm -hmm. But it accrued during the relationship, and therefore it's a relationship, can be viewed, can be viewed as a relationship asset. So like superannuation? Just like superannuation. Interesting. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's another thing for people to, you know, sort of fight over, I guess. Mm, but it's, it's important, and, you, and, and if you're entitled to it, then you need to be aware of it. Um, look, just a few more questions, Wendy, um, and this has been incredibly helpful today. Um, what if... Uh, you and your partner owned a business together and perhaps, you know, similar to, you know, one partner running the finances of the house while the other just sort of kept the house ticking over um, in, in a, in a non-financial sense. What if your partner was also the financial powerhouse driving the business and you happened to just work for the business in a sort of nine to five sort of role, but didn't really take an interest in the financials um, in that situation, would it be advisable or is the course of action to take, get an independent third party in to assess this? So the observation I'll make about um, our businesses is uh, I have yet to have a matter where on separation a business does better than it was doing prior to separation. Right, interesting. So by that, it could be a bit cryptic, by that I mean the person who controls the business usually structures the business following separation to be at its lowest value. And right. uh, I am my 
somewhat facetious comment <laughs> about I've never seen a business do better following separation is, is absolutely 100% mm-hmm. on the money. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a business improve in its value. Funny that, isn't it? Isn't it just <laughs> funny? Um, and so, you know, that that's a perfect example of where a person with financial um, uh, power uh, versus a person with financial, oh, uh, you know, illiteracy or what's the opposite uh, financial power weakness. versus financial weakness there's a mm. good one um that person is really at a disadvantage and and often it will be um necessary to get the business valued as you suggested by a third party and make sure that as much as you can to wind up that settlement as quickly as possible because obviously the more time someone has, the more they can work to the detriment of the other party in terms of setting up the the finances of the business so that it values poorly when it comes time to be valued. Mm-hmm. Wendy, um, I, I think that's, you know, sort of a lot of information, a lot of helpful information for our listeners to take in, but I just wanted to, uh, you know, get some final remarks from you and I'm going to prompt you here because... We've worked together for a while now and something that's always come up in all of our conversations and I think it's a bit of a Wendy Barry mantra which people <laughs> should, which listeners should take away here is simply, you know, knowledge is power and that seems to be a solution mm. to or at least a, a tactic to a lot of the problems that people could encounter, um, not just in the financial aspect of separation but all of their separation. Mm. Well, definitely. Knowledge is very much power in a separation, in a circumstance of separation Um, There is no doubt that the person who has more knowledge about the finances will do better initially, at least initially, Mm -hmm. than the party with uh, limited knowledge. Um, But what I would also add, uh, and this is a Wendy Barry mantra, deal respectfully with each Mm -hmm. other in separation. Mm -hmm. Um, It might might seem appealing at the time to have the bun fight of the century, but... In the end, you'll just end up with um, a huge legal bill and um, a sense of, of, I think both of you will have lost mm-hmm. if you have one of those mm-hmm. War of the Roses type of sure. battles. Mm. Um, so that's a mantra. Deal respectfully and civilly. And where possible, try and make it amicable. But if you're the financially literate party... Um, be aware that you've got an obligation to share the information about the finances. And if you're the financially illiterate party and you haven't yet separated, don't, don't use it as an excuse. Become informed. Um, knowledge is power. <laughs> and, um, you know, don't feel overwhelmed to the extent that you have to stay in a relationship where you're being abused um, and controlled financially. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. So, you know, if, if, if we can help you, let us know. So, um, it's incredibly wise words from someone who has pretty much seen everything in the oh, room. Oh, I don't know if I've seen life. everything. I've <laughs> um, certainly seen a lot. Seen a lot, yeah. most definitely. Wendy, thanks so much for your time today. Um, I'm sure our listeners are really appreciative of it as well. No problem. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Um, and that wraps up this latest episode of the Surviving Separation podcast. Um, 
of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. Um, and while you're at it, have a look at our website, www.tgb.com.au. We have blogs, podcasts, media appearances, so much helpful free information um, for anyone who's going through separation as well as uh, a litany of other areas of law. Uh, we have offices uh, right across South Australia, Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland now as well. Um, and you know, if you ever need anything, uh, don't be shy. Give us a call. Um, we're here to help. Until next time, thanks for your time. You've been listening to Surviving Separation, a podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for the latest podcast updates and news, visit tgb.com.au forward slash podcasts. Tyndall Gask Bentley is one of Australia's largest and most respected family law firms. To arrange an appointment, contact the TGB team or read blogs and content, visit tgb.com.au. Please be aware that the discussions on this podcast are general in nature, true at the time of recording, and should not be considered legal advice. If you are facing a legal issue, seek advice from a lawyer specific to your circumstances.